Good morning. Welcome to Sojourn. If you would please return to your seats and remain standing. All right, if you would return to your seats and remain standing for us. All right, this morning we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 3. Before we do that, um, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, uh, we have people around the back that will be handing that out. So if you wouldn't mind raising your hands, they'd be happy to, uh, to, to hand that out to you. Um, and if you don't own a Bible, uh, we would love for you to take that home with you uh, as Sojourn's gift to you. All right, so this morning we're reading from Ephesians chapter 3, from verse 14 through 19. It says this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, good morning, church. Happy birthday. Yeah, it's good to be with you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. Give you thanks that we can come and gather here this morning. We give you thanks for the gift that today is, each and every day that we get to be together, to corporately sing praises to you and about you, to be reminded of your grace and your goodness and your kindness and your patience with us, to be reminded that we're not in this alone, that we're a part of a family. And so, Lord, this morning, we want to give you thanks for that, for what you've done over these last six years, and we have hope for what you're going to continue to do in the years ahead. And so, Father, I just simply pray this this morning, that you would richly bless us as we dive into your word now. May you be exalted this morning. May the name of Christ be lifted high. And, Father, as we open up your living and active word, I pray that you would draw all of us, no matter where we find ourselves on our spiritual journey, that you would draw all of us closer to you and that you would be glorified. And so we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, it's good to be back with you. Yeah, it's good to be back with you this morning. So good to worship with you this morning. So good to see you, to spend time with you. Man, I've missed you. And for those of you that are new or newer to Sojourn, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, just this is my first Sunday back in the pulpit after being on a three-month sabbatical that our amazing elders and awesome covenant members so graciously gave to my family and myself. And it, and it was a good time for our family. It was restful in various ways for us, though I have young kids, so rest is uh, relative, uh, as far as what that looks like. If you have little kids, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it was refreshing, though, for us. It was refreshing mentally and physically and spiritually and emotionally. You know, one of the things we had the opportunity to do uh, while we were away was travel a little bit. We were here for some of the sabbatical, and then we also took a few trips away. And several of those trips, we actually ended up by, <clears throat> excuse me, larger bodies of 
water. I mean, one weekend I was hanging out with some friends from college. We get together every year. We went kayaking on the Potomac River. One afternoon, my family got to spend uh, close to a week on the Choptank River on the eastern shore of Maryland. And then we also went down to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for several days as well just to hang out uh, around the, the sand and waves. But one of the things that, that always happens to me whenever I'm next to a large body of water is I realize how small I am. I mean, for instance, when we were hanging out on the Choptank River, we went kayaking and paddleboarding pretty much every day that we were out there, and it was so much fun for us to do. But when I went back in the house, there was a map of the Choptank River hanging up on the wall and the little dot kind of where the house is located. And I thought we'd gone like a pretty good distance. Like we, we made some distance on this river. But when I look and see, like we kind of got out of one little bend, and it actually wasn't even really the river. It was like a creek feeding into the river. I mean, it's this massive river that we were just this little speck on. It's humbling. And then there's the ocean, right? I mean, if you've been to the ocean before, you stand on the edge of the ocean and you look out, and the ocean is just so massive, so huge. I mean, it's mind-blowing to think about how vast the ocean is. I mean, 70% of the earth's surface is covered by water, and most of that is ocean. It's home to the largest mammal on the earth, the blue whale, which is longer than this room. That's insane. Like, that's a huge animal, and there's more than one of them, and we just go kind of splashing in the waves like it's no big deal. It's huge. The vastness of the ocean is crazy if, if you actually stop to try and comprehend it. It's almost incomprehensible. Well, today, coming back from sabbatical and re-engaging with preaching, I was thinking about, okay, God, what do you want us to jump into? What do you want us to talk about? And and next week, we're actually going to start a new sermon series in the book of Philippians, and we're going to take a long time to go through that amazing book to be encouraged by God's grace through the book of Philippians, but I was thinking, okay, is that what you want us to do first? And we talked as, as elders and leaders and just felt like, no, I need to, I need to share something else with our church. And, and I could have talked about vision and my excitement for where we're going as a church for the future of our church. And I'm, I'm really, really excited. I'm excited by what God's doing. I'm, I'm hopeful for what he's going to continue to do this morning. But I realized that today is a, a reintroduction of sorts. And I really felt like the Lord wanted me to come, not and talk about all of those things, but come just to simply encourage you this morning. To encourage you with the simple truth that God has gently and consistently encouraged and reminded me of over these last three months. And it's simply this, that Jesus loves you. That Jesus loves you. And so today, I want to open up God's Word, and I want to stand with you on the shore, and I want to look out into the vastness of God's incomprehensible love for you. And so I hope it'll be encouraging you today, no matter where, again, where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, that God would encourage your heart and your mind today. And so let's go ahead and jump into Ephesians chapter 3 this morning and see what God's Word has to say about Jesus' love for us. May he bless the preaching of his word this morning. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a church that he dearly loves. It's a church that he was instrumental in uh, planting and seeing kind of 
come up from the ground and, and develop and grow. He spent years with these believers in Ephesus with their uh, pastors and leaders and just saw people grow in their faith coming uh, from a, a place and a background of not knowing Christ to knowing him and seeing their lives transformed by the gospel and by God's grace. And so Paul really loves this church. He has a strong affection for this church. And so he's writing this letter to them, and in the early part of the book of Ephesians, Paul gives an amazing explanation of the gospel, the good news of what God has done in Christ for the Ephesians and for all people. That, that though we were dead in our sin and rebellion against God, God, being rich in mercy, sent his son to rescue us and to redeem us and to bring us into relationship with him, not based off anything that we do, not based off of our works or our merits or our abilities, but sheerly because of his grace and Christ's perfect righteousness, he died for our sin to reconcile us to himself. Rising again from the grave, forever defeating Satan, sin, and death. And so Paul explains all that to the Ephesians, and then he says in the beginning of verse 14, for this reason. So what he's saying here is because of all of that, here's what I want to pray for you. Here are these verses that we heard read. Let me read them again for us this morning. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this reason, because of everything I've just said about the gospel, everything I've said about what Jesus has done for you, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to dive into the text a little bit, help to hopefully understand a bit more about what Paul is talking about, what the content of his prayer is about, but then ask two specific questions of the text that I hope will be an encouragement to you, not only today, but in the days ahead. This is a rich, personal prayer from a pastor shepherd who loves these people dearly. And in verse 14 and 15, we see that Paul says he bows his knees before the Father. He's, he's coming before God in this posture of humility, getting down before the Father to pray. And, and it's, it's not, shouldn't be lost on us that he calls God Father. That should never be something that we just kind of take for granted, that God is our Father. What that communicates about God to us is this, that God is personal, that he's intimate, that he's loving, that he's caring, that he desires, that he longs to help and serve his children. So Paul prays to the Father, and he prays to the Father who's the Father of all families. Everyone's existence is wrapped up in the fact that God exists. No one would be here this morning if God did not exist. Our existence flows from his existence. And so this means that we are not wholly independent individuals, but wholly dependent people. This is a picture, just in this one line, a picture of God being over all and above all. But notice again what Paul says. He prays to the Father from whom every family is named. 
my family name is Pearson because my dad's family name is Pearson and his dad's family name was Pearson and his dad's family name was Pearson and so on and so forth. To be named is about identity. It's about who you are. But we need to understand something this morning. What is most fundamentally true about every single human being, what is most fundamentally true about you this morning is that you belong to God. He is your creator. He is your sustainer, whether you acknowledge it or not. It's a call and a reminder for all of us to find our identity in nothing and no one else except him. So what is it that he prays to the Father for? See in verse 16, that the Father may grant them to be strengthened by the Spirit in their inner being. Your inner being isn't literally your inside. He's not talking about like, I hope their lungs are stronger or their intestines are healthy so they have good digestive things going on. That's not what he's praying for here, that strength. This is about soul strength, about the core of who you are as a human being made in the image of God. And this soul strengthening has a a multifaceted intention to it that he spells out in verses 17 through 19. He has that phrase there in verse 17, so that I'm praying for this inner strength for you. I'm praying that your soul would be strengthened, that your heart would be strengthened for a reason, so that. And he prays for the Father for this, that three things would happen, that they would experience more and more of the presence of Christ in their lives, that they would comprehend with all the saints, including us. So this isn't something just for the Ephesians. It's for everyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus. They would comprehend with all the saints the greatness of God's love. And thirdly, that they would know the love of Christ. But this isn't something he's praying for them just to experience on a Sunday morning as they gather with the church. Though I hope that happens as we gather together week in and week out. It's not just for something to happen when you're reading your Bible or you're in prayer, though I hope that happens for you when you come to the living God through his living and active word. No, this is about the everyday moments of all of life. Paul wants the core of who you are, your heart and your soul, where every decision is made, where every thought is held, where every emotion comes from, where every notion of who you think that you are, every action that flows out from you, he wants that to be strengthened by the very real presence of the risen Jesus and his love for you. And again, it's not just for the Ephesians, it's for all of us. He then declares that every person, every person who has been redeemed and made new in Christ is rooted and grounded in what? Theological knowledge? Mystical, spiritual experience rooted and grounded in their wealth or their status or their power or their ethnicity? No. They are rooted and grounded in love. To be rooted is an agricultural reference. Paul's just reminding the Ephesians, he's reminding us, kind of painting a picture for us, that it's, we're like plants where the roots need to go down deep into the soil to be nourished so that they might flourish and grow and bear fruit. To be built up is, a, is an architectural reference. In order for something, a structure to be built, it has to be on some kind of firm foundation. And the foundation he's saying that we need to be built upon is love. And this isn't just any love, it's the love of Christ. 
Paul is praying that every believer being rooted and built up in this love would have the strength then to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of this love. See, see, Paul's so blown away by the immensity of Christ's love that he gives these immeasurable dimensions to his love to show the immensity of it. This is love that is as vast as the ocean. But catch this. He doesn't just want you to acknowledge Christ's love. He's not like, well, hey, I just want you to give a head nod to Jesus' love. He's praying that you would know Christ's love for you. But here's where I think we need to ask one of our two questions this morning. What is the love of Christ? What is the love of Christ? See, I think we can hear phrases sometimes like love of God or love of Christ, and they sound spiritual, they sound good to us, but a lot of times I think we have a a shallow understanding about what those phrases actually mean. This love is not love in how culture often defines love. It isn't some sentimental, mushy, hallmark card kind of love. It also, though, isn't detached love or or a hollow expression of love. And often, the popular cultural view of relational love, when we're talking about love between individuals, is is what I would phrase as an overlooking love. A lot of times, culture, when we talk about love, it's a love that's blind to real issues or hurts or wrong. It's, It's a, you're okay, I'm okay, we're okay, so let's not talk about it kind of love. But that isn't really loving, is it? I mean, if someone is not okay, if someone's not well, and we don't help them get better, how can we say that we're really loving them? Or if we say we love someone, but we don't really know anything about them, then it's just superficial. It has no content, no weight to it. But Christ's love is so much more than that. John Owen, a pastor and writer from the 17th century in his book, Communion with God, and, and brothers that were in man school, and we gave that book to you guys when you finished up man school. If you have not read it yet, let me implore you to read it. If you don't read the whole book, read chapter four and five. Chapters four and five. It will serve your soul well. But he says this, sin makes the sinner unlovely and undesirable. There is nothing in the sinner that could arouse love in God. Yet, it is as sinners that God loves us. See, God loves you not because you figured it out. Not because you're, you're better than someone else. Not because you had it all together. No, God loves you because he's infinitely good. God loves you because that's who he is. And he showed you this love, and he gave you this love by sending his only son to rescue you from your sin and death. The very things that separated you from a relationship with the living God to rescue you from yourself. See, friends, the love of Christ is not overlooking love. It is sacrificial, sin-canceling love. You and I are born into this world not okay. We are complete train wrecks. I mean, we're so self-confident, but so confused at the same time. We're we're so defiant, but we're utterly dependent. We're, We're so lost and alone, but often surrounded by so many people. 
And it's in that state that Jesus' love seeks you. It's in that state that Jesus' love rescues you. It's in that state that Jesus' love redeems you by going to a cross and dying for you. Friends, Jesus loved you and he gave himself up for you so that you might be called a child of the living God. And when you experience the love of Christ through who he is and what he's done, it transforms everything about you. Once you were dead in your sin, but now you're alive in Christ. Once you were lost, but now you're found and welcomed into the family of God. Once you were a stranger in this world with no hope and no peace, but now you can be called a son and daughter and have eternal peace and an everlasting hope. But see, knowing Christ's love is not just about past actions. It's a present reality. Amy and I, over uh, sabbatical in June, celebrated our 15-year anniversary. Yeah. And so uh, we celebrated our anniversary, did some fun things over the summer to, to uh, celebrate that. But what if one day uh, she, Amy realizes, you know what, he, Justin never says I love you. In fact, I can't even remember the last time he said I love you. And so she decides to come to me and she says, hey, um, why don't you ever tell me that you love me? If my response to her was, hey, I told you I loved you the day I married you, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> right, now that, that wouldn't be very loving. That, that wouldn't be showing love to her. And, and we know that when we want to show love to someone, when we want to communicate love to someone, it's, it's in our actions but also our words that we want to continue to come along and, and get to know that person. And you'll do anything for them and you'll seek to communicate however you can your love for them. And, and we get that and we don't love perfectly. Christ's love for you is absolutely perfect. And he doesn't just say, I love you in the past. He communicates his love to you now, both in speaking to you through his living and active word, speaking to you through the Holy Spirit working in you, speaking to you and showing you his love for what he's done for you and continues to do for you. He doesn't just say, I loved you then. If anything changes, I'll let you know. No, being loved by Jesus presently is being fully known. God knows everything about you. Jesus knows every single thing about you, being fully known, yet not rejected or abandoned. It's being fully understood, but not belittled. It's being fully helpless, but not left to yourself. It's being a complete mess and completely accepted. How? Because Jesus overlooks all of it? No, because he knows all of it and he paid for all of it and by faith he's presently restoring all of it in you. Friend, do you need redemption in your life this morning? It comes through the love of Christ. The amazing reality about Jesus' love is that he will never stop loving you. When he sets his love on someone, he does so forever. It doesn't get revoked or pulled back. Jesus' love for you doesn't grow if you do or don't do something for him. And Jesus' love for you doesn't diminish if you do or don't do something for him. That's amazing. 
Jesus' love never changes. That's the kind of love that Paul wants us to rest in. That's the kind of love that Paul wants us to plumb the depths of, that we'll, knowing that we'll never reach the bottom of it. We'll never exhaust his love. It's inexhaustible. Therefore, it's a love that surpasses knowledge. I love that Paul says that. I want them to know something that surpasses the ability to know. Man, that's amazing. We can spend the rest of our life learning about Jesus' love for us. There is no other love like Jesus' love. It truly is as vast as the ocean, incomprehensible, massive, insane. But this leads me to the second question that we need to ask this morning. Why does Paul pray for this? Why does Paul pray the Ephesians would know the love of Jesus. Why does he pray that they, along with all the saints, that if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you've been redeemed. Here you sit, 2018. Why does he pray that you would know the love of Jesus? See, it's important for us to see that what what does he not pray for? He doesn't pray that we would love Christ more. He doesn't come to the Ephesians saying, I'm praying that you would love Jesus a little bit more, a lot more. No, he prays that we would understand Christ's love for us more. Why? Because the reality is, in the everyday moments of life, whether things are going well for you or really difficult for you, we either don't believe it or we easily forget it. When temptation comes our way or we give in to sin, we can forget Christ's immense, unchanging love for us. When we are in the midst of suffering or trials or, or difficulty that just is constantly and continually assailing us, we forget, or maybe in those moments don't believe, that Jesus' love is immense and unchanging towards us. And when we're walking through just the mundane parts of life, going to class, going to work, taking care of our families, we can forget that even in those moments, Jesus' love continues for us. And that's me. That, that's my continual struggle. I often don't believe or so easily forget that Jesus loves me. See, one of my core issues, one of my chief struggles is that I forget my identity. I forget who I am in Christ that I am in Christ, that I've been made new in Christ, that I am fully known and fully loved by Christ. That the Father has called me by name, that I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. But I often forget that. I mean, sometimes it just, it seems too good to be true. And when that happens, I look to find my identity, I look to find love in what I do for Jesus instead of in Jesus. And when I forget, or I don't believe in the inexhaustible love of Christ towards me, that nothing can change that love, not my performance, whether it's good or bad, not my abilities, whether they are a lot or a little, when I forget that, what actually happens is I grieve my Father. I grieve my Savior. John Owen again delivers a nice, gracious punch to the face. He says this, The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him is not believe that he loves you. 
not believe that he loves you. And so friends, in God's kindness and patience with me, he has been challenging me with this, and he did so over sabbatical, helping me to see, to believe, and rest in Jesus' love for me. Whether it was through journaling or studying through the book of Ephesians or reading the Psalms or reading good books like Communion with God, this summer he spoke to me over and over again about this, reminding me over and over again about it, stopping me in my tracks. He loves me. He loves me because he loves me, because he's chosen to place his extravagant love on me. It has nothing to do with anything I do for him. Nothing at all. If I never preached again, if I never counseled again, if I never led anything in ministry again, if I never pastored again, or, or if I do those faithfully for the next 50 or 60 years, Jesus' love is still the same. My gracious and patient Father challenged me to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. But see, the kind of knowing that he reminded me of, the kind of knowing that Paul is talking about here and praying for isn't intellectual knowledge. It's not my goal for you and for myself this morning is not that you would go out and read another book about Jesus' love for you. That you would go listen to another sermon or another podcast about Jesus' love for you. Now, this is about the experience, knowing in an experiential way the love of Jesus for you. See, when you and I, if we go to the beach or the river and we swim around and we play in the body of water that we're in, we act like it's no big deal. Not realizing the immensity and the power of what it is that we're entering into and experiencing. Because we don't stop to try and understand it. That's why I want to talk to you about this today. As I jump back into the pulpit and I re-engage you as one of the pastors in this church, a church that we said, and we're going to pray about at the end, is turning six years old today. A church that God has been so faithful to, has continued to show his love and kindness to. I want to talk to you about this today because I want you to know, not intellectually, I want you to know through intimate experience the love that Jesus has for you. I want you to stop and rejoice in it the vastness of the love of Jesus for you. I'm praying this for you, along with the Apostle Paul. I'm praying this for you, and I'd ask that you would pray it for me too. Because my guess is a lot of us struggle with this, if we're honest. We aren't blown away by the immensity of Jesus' love for us. We either think way too highly of ourselves, we don't really need that kind of love. And for some of us, we think way too low of ourselves, that we're not worthy of that kind of love. And so we need to come back to this over and over again. We need to pray along with Paul for ourselves and for one another for strength to comprehend this. Why does Paul say he wants to pray for strength for them to comprehend this? Because the world and our flesh and the enemy are continually, every single day, assaulting you with false narratives about who you are. They're assaulting you with false narratives about what real love really is. So you struggle to believe that you're worthy to be loved. The enemy whispers that in your ears, in your hearts. You did that again? Really? You, you sinned in that way again? Wasn't that just 
yesterday or last week that you said you'd never do that again, and here you are again? That's a lie from the enemy. Go get that figured out on your own, then maybe God will love you. We start to realize or think that we're unworthy to be loved because of the lives of the enemy. We are tempted by less wild lovers to chase after their empty promises, believing that we'll get greater love from something or someone else besides God. And so we pursue those things. Or maybe for some of you, you've had other people in your life who were supposed to love you, who said that they would love you, but they didn't. And so it can be a temptation for you to think maybe Maybe God's the same. I know he's saying this, but when's the other shoe going to drop? He's going to pull that back or not follow through on it. And so whatever it is that we're tempted to run away from Jesus' love, what we do in the midst of that, because we desire to be loved, is we keep searching and we keep looking for love in all the wrong places. Maybe for you it's your job that you would receive love in the midst of your job or your successes or your relationships or your looks, something. You're looking for something that will validate your loveliness, something that will validate that you are lovable. All the while, the very Son of God and Savior of the world has displayed and gives the most radical, enduring love ever. See, friends, in Jesus' love, there's freedom. There's freedom from sin. There's freedom from performance. In Jesus' love, there's peace. In the midst of trial and uncertainty. In the midst, and in Jesus' love, there's security when everything around you is shaky or temporary. And so let me ask you this morning, right now, do you believe that Jesus loves you? Do you believe that Jesus loves you? If you've been saved from your sin by Jesus, do you believe that he loves you no matter what you do for him? Not cognitively cognitively believe, but in the core of who you are as a person, do you believe it? And maybe this morning, because you're being, we're talking about this morning and we're singing songs about it, you're like, yes, I totally believe it. But will you believe it tomorrow? When you engage your day, When you go back to work this week and your boss is asking a lot of you, when you go and sit in the classroom this week and you're interacting with your peers, your students, or other other students or roommates, will you believe it in that moment? When you're struggling in whatever way you happen to be struggling with, when you're at home taking care of your kids this week and everyone seems to be screaming and wanting you all at the same time, in that moment, will you believe that Jesus loves you? Because so often we forget. We forget this key reality about who we are. If you are in Christ, you are a beloved child of God. A beloved child of God. And so as your pastor, someone who cares deeply for you, what I want to say to you today, coming back from sabbatical, looking forward to the future for our church, something that God has graciously whispered in my ear and at times shouted to me over and over again is simply this, listen to me, Jesus loves you. Utterly loves you. Completely loves you. Perfectly loves you. 
If you believe that Jesus is your only hope in life and death, be fully assured. Have no fear and no doubts. He loves you. Nothing can ever change that. But maybe you find yourself this morning recognizing, even in this moment, even as we talk about this, that this seems so foreign to you. Maybe you find yourself this morning recognizing that you don't actually know Christ. Maybe you're new to the church. You've never even gathered with the church before. It's been a long time. So glad you're here this morning. Or maybe for some of you, you've been gathering with the church for your whole entire life. And you've always heard about Jesus and you've sung, Jesus loves me, this I know. But you're recognizing this morning, you've never actually experienced the love of Christ. Can I invite you this morning? Your Savior's arms are open wide to you. Jesus, who bled and died for you, invites you to himself to experience that love today and every day for the rest of eternity. Turn away from anything else you're trying to find love in and from and turn to Jesus, who lavishes love on you. The love of Christ is the beginning, middle, and end of everything for you. Without the experience of his love, you will be utterly lost. And sojourn, there's no special trick. There's no magic method to, to fast track this for you. I know we live in Northern Virginia, always looking for the quickest way to do anything. Right? Accelerated MBA programs, fast lanes, we can pay $10 to get somewhere faster. Right? Everything we do, we want it to be quicker. So we can think, all right, how do I get that? How do I, how do I understand and know God's love, Jesus' love for me as fast as I possibly can so I can move on from that? And that's kind of the point that you can't. It's the know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. As one writer writes, no matter how much we know of the love of Christ, how fully we enter into his love for us, there is always more to know and experience. So what are we going to do to grow in it and experience his love more and more? Well, it starts with believing it to be true. Believing that God loves you. Now, I know that's easier said than done, so here's my encouragement for you. This is your one, maybe second application for today, what you can walk away with. is Just do what Paul did. Pray. Pray that you would know Jesus' love for you. Pray that you would experience Jesus' love for you. Give thanks for Jesus' love for you. And then remind one another of it. I'd encourage you, if you journal or, or wherever you, whenever your morning routine is, write, I am a beloved child of God. Put it on an index card right at the top of your journal. Put it on the dashboard of your car that every single day that you would look at that phrase, I am a beloved child of God. God, help me to believe that to be true today. No matter what I encounter, help me to believe that that is the most true thing about me today. Then text it to a friend. Speak it over one another. Because friends, we need to be reminded of it each and every day. Sojourn together, run to him, delight in him because he really, truly delights in you. And this is a huge prayer. Huge prayer. But man, we could pray this with confidence because this is a prayer that God answers yes to. So will you pray it? Will you pray it for yourself? Will you pray it for me, will you pray it for our whole church? Will you pray it for your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends that don't yet know the love of Jesus? Will we come together and pray that God would do this work?
Jesus loves you. He really, really does. So may we strive together to comprehend and rest in the incomprehensible, immense, extravagant, magnificent, transformative love of Jesus. Every week at Sojourn, we have the opportunity, the privilege to take communion together, to testify to the truth that Jesus died for our sin and rose again to give us new life. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate baptism, and we're going to hear from five individuals that are going to testify to that reality in their own life, and we're going to see that imaged before us as they come up out of the water, a picture of being cleansed from their sin and rising from death to life. We get to come forward every week to take communion together, to be refreshed in that. It's a tangible way as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, a tangible way to be reminded and actually refreshed in the love of Jesus for you. You eat that bread, the picture of Christ's body broken for you, and you drink that cup, a picture of Christ's blood shed for you. And so this morning when you come forward, and whoever's serving communion to you speaks over you the blood of the blood of Christ shed for you, the body of Christ broken for you, I'd encourage you in the midst of that to be strengthened in your inner being. May Christ dwell more in your heart and may you know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And then as we stand together, let's give thanks through song to what Jesus has done for us. Let's sing of the vastness of his love and then celebrate with our brothers and sisters as they get baptized. For those of you that are not followers of Christ, again, I'm so grateful that you're here this morning. My hope, our desire as a church is that this would be a community that you can always come to and find a a welcoming group of people who want to journey with you, who want to answer questions, and most importantly, want to point you towards Jesus. And so if you don't yet know Christ, I would just ask that you not come forward to take communion this morning. But instead, hang out in your seat. Think about what has been preached on this morning. And if you're ready to start a relationship with Jesus, tell God that. God, save me from my sin. I don't even know what that means exactly, but I know I need Jesus. It doesn't have to be more complex than that. And then let somebody around you know so that we can journey with you. We can help you to learn what it looks like to know and follow Christ all the days of your life. And church, come forward whenever you're ready to take communion this morning. Let's celebrate together. Man, it's good to be back with your family. Let's pray. God, I come before you this morning and we praise you today. You loved us so much that you sent your only son to reconcile us to yourself. So Jesus, we thank you for always and forever loving us with a never stopping, never giving up love. And so Lord, we acknowledge that this morning, but we don't want to just acknowledge it. We want to know it in the core of who we are. So help us, God, to do that. As we go out through our week this week and the months and years ahead, I pray that we would grow in our knowledge of your love for us. And then empower us, God, to go and tell our neighbors and the nations that they too can experience this radical, extravagant, vast love. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your faithfulness. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Come forward whenever you're ready.